Welcome to the Gathering Church's audio sermon. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. My friends, this is the word of God. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray together. Father, we are encouraged by your word this morning because as we begin to walk through the very beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, we see that there was an immediate effect to the preaching of the gospel. Father, the same is true for us today, and we pray that as the word of God is proclaimed that the Spirit would do the same as he did in all ages, bringing the lost to Jesus. We pray, Father, that you will bless us as we read, keep us focused distractions taken away. Father, may your word rise up in our hearts. Do a work in us, we ask, for the glory of our God in the face of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. We ask this, amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the cartoon G-Force. Any G-Force fans? Yes, G-Force. I don't know if just the weird kids were watching G-Force in the middle to late 70s, but my friends, G-Force was the bomb. This is Marvel Comics, right, to the extreme. These fine men and women were my heroes as a young child, and I I always wanted to be part of G-Force. They were, if you flip to the next slide, you'll see they were just normal kids, right? They were different kinds of kids. And the hope was, at least in our Caucasian society, you could say that they kind of looked like maybe one of us, right? And I, like many kids, took this to heart. And I really, at some time in my experience, thought I was part of the G-Force team. And the way they marketed this was really awesome. They said that this is an incredible, highly specialized team 
of five young people. The G-Force team is charged with, listen to this, the responsibility of guarding the earth and its allies against attack by pirates and space aliens and with keeping peace in the galaxy. Very believable, right? Uh, A highly specialized team of five young people. Well, I really took this to heart. And and I'll tell you, the, the moment of the transformation from this moment to the fact when they became these winged creatures was absolutely amazing. And it was like they would be running in the spot and all of a sudden they would kind of extend and their wings would come out and they would fly and they would have all these superpowers. It was amazing. You're wanting to watch this now, aren't you? Right. No, you're probably, probably not. But, but I really, really wanted to be part of this. There was that moment, though, when they went from those kids transformed to become these superheroes. We read a passage where we read about people who were normal people who joined Jesus on mission to establish his kingdom. It wasn't some far-fetched idea about, about saving the galaxy. It was taking the, the word of a God, the powerful, life-changing message of Jesus and his love for sinners to a world of needy people for real. Not just something that was on a 70s show that you never saw. This is life. This is real. This is life-changing. This is eternity-changing. The king, my friends, will call into the darkness, and he still today will graciously deliver the most unlikely of people to join him in his kingdom. Jesus calls people in the darkness to join him. And while forgiveness is freely offered to sinners, being on mission with Jesus will cost Jesus' people everything. It will cost them everything. There are certain things that will cost them, and we'll, we'll talk about that through this passage, but there are certain characteristics then that would be consistently seen among the people of God. And in fact, to join Jesus in his kingdom and on his mission into the darkness will mean that his people will have to undergo by the grace of God, significant transformation. Significant transformation. And from verses 12 to 17, the first thing that we're going to find is to join Jesus on mission requires total surrender. Total surrender. To enter the kingdom is not to cross a border, but when you yield to God's rule, to be part of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is God's rule in the lives of people. And so when Jesus begins to reign in the life of a person, they become part of his kingdom because he rules over their life and he wants them to follow him and to follow him means to be obedient. And so right off the bat, as we look at this text, what lists from the page, especially if you have a Bible that has Jesus's words in red lettering, is this word repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We learned a couple of weeks ago that to repent means to surrender, to surrender. It requires a legitimate, honest assessment of one's ability to evaluate the chances of victory. And so as these people are confronted with the gospel and their great need, they, are, they realize that in and of themselves, they are insufficient for heaven. That whatever Jesus is offering, they cannot get there by themselves. They cannot, uh, cannot obtain the forgiveness that they need in order to be right with God. When a person who repents, 
what they're doing and what you did if you are a believer at one point in your life, when you got saved, you repented, you admitted that you were unworthy of being part of God's kingdom, that you were a a sinner confessing your sorrow over sin. You turned away from that sin. That is, you renounce any kind of reliance upon your own goodness before God or your ability to save yourself. You say, I tried all of that stuff until I met Jesus and he told me I didn't have to try. I could just trust in what he did for me upon the cross. And I turned from myself. The area that Jesus has moved into is, is really important. It's right to the west of the sea or really the lake of Galilee. We read here in verse 13 that he has left Nazareth. We don't have it in our text, but Luke will fill in the gap for us. He has been run out of, of Nazareth, his, his hometown, and now he finds himself in Capernaum. This is the area that once belonged, as we read, to the Jewish tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. These tribes were were notorious for being unfaithful to God. And and God let them suffer defeat at the hands uh, of the Assyrians. And there's a real history here that I think is important for us to grasp. It's the backdrop to what Isaiah was talking about when he wrote this in Isaiah chapter 9 and why Matthew thinks it's important for you and I to know as Jesus goes into this area. This was an area that was depleted by the Assyrians in the 8th century. The people of God in the northern part of Israel had so forsaken God that God left them to themselves and the Assyrian army came in and they, they had, they, you'd read this in 2 Kings chapter 15 and 17. They, they took away, they deported the Israelites from this land and then they reconstituted a whole bunch of Gentiles into this area. This was a hugely pagan area in the 8th century. It wouldn't be too long till the southern tribes would also uh, fall into the same situation as they abandoned the, the uh, obedience to the word of God. And they went their own way and they adopted the things of the nations, the gods of the nations, and they forsook the the, the God of Yahweh. These Assyrians came in and they brought with them people from different places. In 104 BC, these pagans were made to become Jewish. They had to adopt all of these Jewish rites. And so by the time Jesus comes on the scene, this is a dark, dark place. And so it's interesting that he comes from the wilderness of Judea into Capernaum. And it's not like he wanted to have, you know, a little house by the sea, right? A little little comfort place. He went right into the darkness. Our text, here's Isaiah. And Isaiah says, you're the people that are dwelling in darkness. They all of a sudden see a great light. This is Galilee of the Gentiles. This is a dark, dark place. Sometimes we think of Galilee as being this place that's just filled with people that were Jewish and they were all for the Old Testament. It's not true. There's probably only two main cities that were following Yahweh at the time. They were even Jewish. That was Nazareth and this place, Capernaum, where Jesus went. There were other places like Tiberias and Sephora. Those were highly pagan cities. The whole area was just saturated by the time Jesus came here with pagans. A true dark place. This is the place where Jesus begins to proclaim, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is within your grasp. He doesn't go to among the elite. He goes to the darkest place he can find. 
This is what Jesus does as he calls people to repentance. My friends, repentance is a, a super dangerous calling. When a sinner repents, she rejects her ability to get into heaven her own way. That's hard sometimes if we think about the darkness because it seems like an overwhelming obstacle. Go into dark places and preach about forgiveness of sins. Will they listen to me? They may not. But it is amazing as we look at the word of God, God is actively engaged in the darkest of places. I think as I saw Brandy's picture about the dump, I thought, yeah, that looks a lot like my life, metaphorically. It's the dump that Jesus found me in, in my sin. Lost, without hope. That's where he found me. Was that where he found you? When Isaiah wrote this section, this, this portion that Matthew lifts out, he writes it not to rub in the hopelessness, but to generate this concept of hope. There is hope because one day the light will come and it will dispel the darkness. There is a path from hopelessness to hope because the light has dawned. My friends, Peter and Andrew and James and John were men that were in this darkness and they felt that light. Woke up this morning and saw the beautiful sunshine. I thought, what a beautiful day. It is so good to, to get that warmth of the, the, the tempting coming spring season, is it not? Think of the warmth of the gospel. Think of your own experience in salvation, those of you who know the Lord Jesus as Savior. It was a day when you heard the gospel and you turned away from your sin and you said, I, I surrendered. My friends, we're not saved by works that we do, but according to his mercy, he saves us. There is forgiveness from our sins no longer in opportunities that seem to, to present itself as being possible for us. Salvation is only available in Jesus. Today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Things have not changed. Jesus still shines light into the darkness. We want to also acknowledge as we look into this next section here that Jesus came and he calls real people. To join Jesus on mission will require a radical abandonment of those people that, that he calls. If those of us who know Jesus Christ know that there is going to be a radical abandonment of things that we trust. When we really can't talk about turning away from our sins without talking about Jesus calling us to leave things behind. Jesus modeled the surrendered life in the garden where he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is a radical abandonment that comes along with those whom Jesus calls. When we turn to him, my friends, we follow him. And in following Jesus, we learn the things we thought we needed most are really things that we're eager to leave behind. The things we thought were absolutely essential are the things that now we radically abandon. This section from verses 18 to 25 to close this chapter, at first read, we're, 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 we're a little bit confused. I would say I was a little bit confused because we read this and we're like, I thought we told, we told our kids not to listen to the guy who drives up in the van and says, hey, kids, get into my car, right? I, 
that might be trivial, and I, I, I don't want to trivialize the text, but it seems a little strange that Jesus would come up and he would say to these, these fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But if we piece all of the gospels together and we realize that Matthew has something particular in mind that he writes about, and Mark has something in particular, and Luke and John are writing from different angles, we realize if we put it all together, we realize that this is not the first time that these four guys met Jesus. In fact, uh, in, I believe it uh, is Luke's gospel, we see that Andrew brings Peter, Simon Peter. In fact, his name Peter is given to him by Jesus, and Peter acknowledges him as master. There was a, there was a, a meeting between Jesus and these men way before uh, th- this moment that we read about in Matthew's uh, gospel. In fact, there is a great miracle that happens as, as Jesus gets into Peter's boat and he's preaching to the crowd and, and the fishermen have all been fishing all night and they have caught nothing. And Jesus says to them, I want you to throw the nets overboard and I want you to see what you can get. And the fish that they got almost took the boat to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. And we see that great scene where Peter steps out of the boat and falls before Jesus, and he says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. No wonder when Jesus says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They dropped everything, a radical abandonment without apology, and they followed Jesus. It would be very unlikely that these men who identify uh, who's, who are, whose identity really was wound up, I think, in their occupation as fishermen would abandon everything for the sake of some charismatic stranger. Far from an invitation, what we read here is a summons. And it's really the same summons that every person whom Jesus encounters will hear. Follow me. I will make something of your life. I will bring you into mission. I will bring you part of the mission that reaches the nations. You talk about missions at the gathering. We didn't come up with this concept. Jesus did. Jesus asks them, calls them, commissions them, come to mission. Jesus' call to mission is drastic, say the least, but it is still the same message for you and I. Their immediate response is not likely their conversion moment. But it is their response moment. It's the time when they say, you know what? It's time. We know who he is. He is the king. We know what he's calling us to. And there's nothing that will stand in the way. Not even the things that we we rely upon to live will stand in the way because we want to be with Jesus. My friends, if anything, let this be a radical call for us today to ask ourselves some deep questions about what we still cling to as a people. What are the things that still capture our minds so much so that we could say, I just have to have this. I will join Jesus on mission, but I need to bring these things with me. Let me just put this backpack together and bring it all along. I need these things. My friends, Jesus says, drop it all. Rely fully upon me. This is what it means to be radically abandoned to the gospel. I've asked this question this week about the things that I still cling to. And I know God still calls me to work, still calls me in his word to be a good father, to be a good spouse. I have obligations. But Jesus said, if you were to categorize 
all of those things, all of the things that, that you love, how, how would that match up to your love for me? And Jesus calls us to leave father and mother and children and the things, so much so that if someone compared our devotion to Jesus with our devotion to those things, we'd love Jesus more. Doesn't call us to just forsake the things that are important in life, but he calls us to make decisions so that all of what we do focuses in to the glory of God. Lord, take every part of me, every aspect of my life. Are we really seriously, totally abandoned to the gospel. I find sometimes we just play church so much. I don't know, you feel that sometimes? Let's just say we forget the mission that we're on. We exist to display the glory of God by being and making disciples. My friends, we can't be making disciples if we don't know what it's like to be a disciple. Here are men who are called, repent and follow. So when Jesus deals with every kind of ailment, as we bring our way to the end of this chapter and we see the disciples following him and they're watching all that he does, he not only talks, but he walks the walk. Jesus is pledged to blow through every barrier that enemies, the enemy puts up to try to convince you and I that he is unable. Jesus verbally and visibly displays and declares God's sovereign rule over every obstacle. This is why he is healing everyone that comes in contact with him. Nothing will stand in the way of the work that God is doing. I love what David Platt says. Let's put that up on the screen. David Platt says this. He says, discipleship, is undoubtedly costly. Uh, Turn to the one, the actual quote from David. Thanks, thanks. Discipleship is undoubtedly costly. But as you consider the cost of discipleship, I beg you to consider the cost of non-discipleship. Do not be deceived. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. What does he mean by this? Don't be deceived, Non-discipleship is to not be a disciple. And so the word of God calls us today to join Jesus in his kingdom and on his mission into the darkness. What that will mean is that we will be his people and we will have to undergo, by the grace of God, significant transformation. We are such a stubborn people, are we not? We need God to work in our hearts because for some reason we just, we like to cling. I remember when I first started playing baseball, my dad bought me the wrong batting gloves. He bought me football batting gloves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) The ones with the sticky palms. You can't let go of the bat, right? So you hit the ball and then you're supposed to drop the bat and run, but you can't drop the bat. So you end up kind of, it's ridiculous, It's not the right thing. Sometimes when it comes to my Christian life, I don't know if you feel the same. It feels like we're playing the right game, but we've got the wrong gloves on. Haven't yet figured that out. My friends, God wants us to be part of his work in the kingdom. To join Jesus on mission will require total surrender, but it also requires a radical abandonment. What does being a disciple then mean to you? 
really, honestly. If I asked you, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, what would you say? What does being a disciple mean to Jesus? What did it mean? Because you know, being a disciple is not to be a believer necessarily. To be a disciple, technically, is to be a learned one, somebody who is following. There were lots of disciples that followed Jesus for a season and then they just fell away. They weren't truly converted. They were just interested. It suited them well for a season, but they weren't truly believers. Wouldn't that be just the the height of tragedy? As I look into the faces of people that I love, you look at each other and wonder, that person wasn't a disciple? They were just a, a learned person. They just carried a Bible and did their thing and came to church and thought that was enough. My friends, Jesus is not interested in your religion. He wants to save you. And so for all of us today, the call goes out, repent. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's within your grasp. And Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I will bring you on mission. This is what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we follow Jesus at the beginning of this, this text, and we are reminded that he is actively calling people in the midst of the greatest of darkness to follow him, that call involves a radical abandonment of self. Father, we we ask ourselves, we, we ask you, search us, Lord. For those of us who know for sure, yes, I am on mission. I am following the Lord Jesus. Yet, there are so many things that we pick up along the way that we need to let go. Things we rely upon that cause us so much anxiety. This is the reason why we're so anxious all the time is because we are somehow relying upon something other than you. Oh, God, forgive us. Help us to come along, to go where Jesus takes us, to be part of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom and watch you do great things for the fame of the name of Christ. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, be the greatest treasure of our longing soul. My God, like you, there is no other. True delight is found in you alone. Father, do the work in our lives, we pray. For those who do not know Jesus Christ today, we, we pray that they will hear the gospel, that Jesus loves the sinner. He will meet them even now as they pray along with us and repent of their sins, turn away from their sins, forsake the world, and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who died in their place upon the cross, who was buried and rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he is offering them eternal life if they would but repent and trust him, follow him. Father, thank you for this. Pray that you'll do a work among us for your glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's sermon. For more information about our church, visit tgcw.org.